Hope you're all doing well this morning. John, thank you for singing that song. John came in my office um, maybe Wednesday, and, and we were talking about song choice and all this other stuff, and he said, um, well, I'm going to sing it won't be very long before your lesson. I said, what is that? I don't even know. And so, um, and it's, it's always great to learn a song that you, you didn't know, but everybody else knew. And so it always sounds so good and so rich. But we needed to hear about heaven. I think we need to hear about good news because um, the theme of what is going on right now in America, in the world, in our lives, it's, I feel like we're just bombarded with bad news. Every time I turn on the news, every time I read the paper or get online and to read some news, I feel like I don't see any good. And so it's good to see some positivity. It's good to talk about heaven, and it's all good. Before we get started this morning, let's pray together. Father, we thank you for today. God, I pray this morning that as we open your word, God, that you would show up here in a big way. Lord, I pray that this morning um, that we can leave here edified, lifted up, and God, ultimately um, leaving here ready to share the gospel, because that's what it's all about. God, be with us this morning. Uh, be with us as we go throughout our day today and into our work week tomorrow. Uh, God, it's through your son Jesus we pray and we live. Amen. So Philippians chapter 1 is going to be where we're at today. So why don't we go ahead and go over there. Philippians chapter 1, um, we'll start in verse 3. I want to talk this morning about these two words that come out of Philippians. And they kind of tie into something else that we're going to be talking about. But let's read Philippians chapter 1, starting verse 3 first, before we get started. This is Paul writing to the Philippians. He said, I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it out to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. It is right for me to feel this way about all of you. Since I have you in my heart, and whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. That's the word of the Lord. When I was growing up in student ministry, even in college, I was always a background guy. I wanted context when I when I was someone was reading something. I always wondered, you know, kind of why is he writing this? What's all this about? Because Paul uses some some language here, and he talks about having deep affections for people, and he wants them to, to be pure and blameless. In fact, Philippians is one of the only books, okay, in the Bible, and especially one of the letters that that Paul writes that he's not telling them something they're doing wrong. He's not saying, okay, you're doing this, this, and this wrong, and here's how you fix it. But it's a book that he writes to the Philippians and says, hey, I just want to encourage you. I, I, I was thinking about you. I had you in my heart. I had you on my mind. And I just want to encourage you in your walk with Jesus. So I want to give a little background this morning before we kind of dive into what we're speaking about. But here's what I want you to realize. The gospel drove Paul. That was, that was Paul in every way that the gospel got him out of bed in the morning and got him moving. Now, Paul was a church planter. A lot of you know this. And in his plantings, if he were planting churches today, he'd be planting churches in major metropolitan areas. Okay, Areas like Dallas, New York, Los Angeles, um, pretty soon Nashville. So all these places that are majorly populated, Paul is planting churches. 
And so he gets this thing we refer to as the Macedonian call, okay? And he, and he heads off with, with his companions, and he's headed uh, to Macedonia, and he, and he passes through Philippi. And this is where we're going to pick up this morning. If you have a Bible, let's go to Acts chapter 16. Acts chapter 16. We're going to start this morning in verse 13. And I just want to give you just a little bit of context to some of these people. My students who are in here this morning, we talked about this a while back in the book of Philippians, and we kind of gave some of these um, contexts of people that are, that are Paul's talking about in the book of Philippians. But just hang with me for a few minutes. Verse 13 of Acts chapter 16. On the Sabbath we went outside to the city gate to the river where we expected to find a place of prayer. Now we sat down and began to speak to the women who had gathered there. One of those listening was a woman from the city of Thyatira named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth. Now she was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. When she and the members of her household were baptized, she invited us into her home. If you consider me a believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my house. And she persuaded us. Okay, so like we said, Paul has this vision and he, and he goes into Philippi. And he gets there, and he's looking for a place to worship on a Sunday morning. House of Prayer is, is kind of like a synagogue, so he's looking for a church. He said, I can't, I can't find anything. And what Paul stumbles upon um, is the equivalent of like a Tuesday morning ladies' Bible study. Okay, So it's just these, these ladies that gather together, and they're, and they're spending time together, and they're worshiping the Lord. And we find out that the reason there's not a synagogue and there's not a place of prayer is that there's a very weak male presence in Philippi. Okay, so there's not a lot of men who are leading the churches and, and figuring out what's going on. Okay, so Paul starts talking to these people, starts talking to Lydia, um, and, and baptizes her, and, and that's kind of the first person we see in the Philippian church. Okay, that's going to be in your notes right at the top. So Lydia is important. Now let me tell you about Lydia. Lydia um, was most likely Asian, um, but she also had a place in Philippi, which tells us she was probably pretty wealthy. She had a couple houses. She's a dealer in purple cloth, and, and that meant that she was um, pretty wealthy because she dealt with fashion. Okay, so I like to call her a fashionista. Um, I used that word before. John Bennett's back there laughing at me. Um, so I, I like that word because I think it's funny, and it's fun to say fashionista. But uh, Lydia is this CEO type, okay? She is a businesswoman, and she's got it together. So we meet Lydia. That's important to remember. So Lydia is the first important person. I love that it says that she is a God-fearer. She's a person who has rejected paganism. She rejected polytheism, this idea that, that you're worshiping all kinds of gods, and she decided to worship the one true God. It tells us a lot about her life. So she comes a Christian. Look at verse 16. Um, actually, we looked at verse 16. Let's go to actually... Go to, let's go to verse 16. We're good. Um, now, once we were going to a place of prayer, um, we were met by a female slave who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. Now, she earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune telling. She followed Paul and the rest of us shouting, These men are servants of the Most High God who were telling you the way to be saved. She kept us up for many days. Now, finally, Paul became so annoyed that he turned around and said to the Spirit, In the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. And at that moment, the Spirit left her. When her owners realized that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. Okay, so second person you're going to realize, after Lydia, okay, he leaves Lydia and he's walking around, he's trying to share the gospel with people, and in comes this, this little girl who's saying the same thing over and over and over again for days. 
I asked in first service who had, little, who had younger siblings, and a few of you raised your hand. Um, and I also said, how many of you have kids? And you, you're going to understand this as well. Um, you, you've been in a place in your life where someone followed you around and said the same thing over and over and over again, right? You know exactly what I'm talking about. Some of you with kids have had kids that said, it, said something, a phrase or something over and over and over again. It drove you mad. It drove you bonkers. So Paul, okay, instead of acting like I would act, or instead of acting like a lot of us would act, which is to turn around and yell at someone, or turn around and just be so fed up with somebody, you just you yell at them or you just tell them to go away and leave you alone and never see you again. Paul turns around and exercises the demon. And then this woman, this, this little girl comes to know Jesus because Paul was patient. Because Paul was kind. Because Paul listened over a course of time. And I think that's important for us to remember. So the second person to remember is the slave girl that Paul's writing to. Let's look at the third person. Go to verse 20 with me, if you don't mind, of Acts chapter 16. Now they brought them, Paul and Silas, before the magistrates, okay, the, the officials, and said, These men are Jews and are throwing our city into uproar by advocating customs unlawful for us as Romans to accept or to practice. Now the crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas, and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. Now, after they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison, and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. Note, guard them carefully. When he received these orders, he put them in the inner sail and fastened their feet into stocks. So um, when, when I, I want you to think about stocks. When you think about stocks, you probably think about those, those things they had like during the Salem witch trial era, you know, when they would put their heads and arms in it. And they'd take funny pictures when you see them. Um, that's not what stocks were back then. Stocks were these things that would bind kind of your hands and your feet and would, would contort your body into odd shapes. And, and it would be very painful to, to kind of be in stocks for an extended amount of time. At first it was okay, it was bad, but eventually it got excruciating, okay? So this is where Paul and Silas find themselves. You know the rest of the story, you've heard it before, but I'll summarize it. Paul and Silas are in the jail, they're, they're worshiping the Lord, and, and comes the great big earthquake, or the ground starts shaking, their chains were loosed and unfastened. The jailer looks around and all the doors are swinging open. Now the jailer kind of defines himself by his career. He is the jailer, and that's the most important thing to him. But, so he draws his sword, and he's about to kill himself. But Paul says, wait, 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 we're still in here. And the jailer is amazed, and, and Paul and the jailer start having a conversation, and eventually the jailer and his whole family come to know Christ. That is the context of what is going on. So if you're looking, uh, you go ahead and go to the next slide for me, please, if you don't mind. Um, the three key people influential to the book of Philippians were this. Lydia, the slave girl, and the Philippian jailer. This is important for us to remember because Paul is using some language here that, that is so beautiful and so intricate, but so personal that he is speaking to people whom he has a connection with. Paul is directly responsible for saving the souls of these three people. Paul brought these people to Jesus. And I think they hold a special place in his heart. So I, I love that when Paul starts talking about us being pure and blameless, okay, I think Paul realized that he wants them to experience what he's experienced. Paul has found out how to be pure and blameless through Christ. He's got it figured out. Now, it doesn't mean he didn't mess up. It doesn't mean he didn't make mistakes. But, but he knew that these people needed to hear this. And I love what he says. But before we dive into talking about being pure and blameless, I want to look at a few scriptures this morning, if you have some time. 
um, and, and talk about this. So let's read a couple together. Um, and you can start writing these down if you want to. Philippians chapter 2, verses 14 through 16. Here are just some scriptures and what they have to say. If you go to the next slide for me, please. Thank you. Um, Do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in this warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you would firmly hold uh, to the word of life. And then I'll be able to boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor in vain. Here's another one. Psalm chapter 119, um, verse 1. Blessed are those whose ways are blameless, who walk according to the law of the Lord. I love this one. James chapter 1, verse 27. A religion that our Father accepts is pure and faultless as this. To look after widows and orphans in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. You're going to see this, this theme of, of being separated from the world um, pretty prevalent in some of these. Matthew chapter 5 and verse 8. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. And finally, Paul says this later in Philippians. And this is where we're going to get into today. Finally, brothers and sisters, this is chapter 4 and verse 8. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely and admirable... If anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. I wanted to read these because I I want you to realize that that this idea of us being pure and blameless in the sight of God and the sight of man is all throughout Scripture. It's in Old Testament, it's in New Testament, it is all over the place. And it's important for us to talk about because Paul had achieved this and he'd figure out how to do it, but he wanted to impart it to the Philippians and I think that he wants to impart it to us as well. So I think that often, though, people get being pure and blameless mixed up with just being a good person. Um, And maybe you've you've experienced this before. I asked some of my friends, and and like any other millennial, I I Googled this, and this is what I figured out. When I asked some people, what are characteristics of someone who is a good person? Okay, and here's what I came up with. They're honest, they're happy, they're good communicators, and they're compassionate, um, they're cheerful, they're also giving. Uh, if you go ahead and go to the next slide for me, please. Um, and so there's this idea that, that we cannot be just good people. Okay? I don't think Scripture teaches that. And I know that's those, uh, I guess, adjectives describe Santa Claus, but it's not really it. Um, being a good person doesn't inherently mean that you and I are pure and blameless. And it doesn't inherently mean that we're going to go to heaven. I think that paying your taxes and giving to charity and coming to church two, three times a week are good things. But that's not enough. I'm a big reader, and I like to read books, and I read three or four books a month. And um, I read a book a couple years back by a guy named Kyle Eidelman, and he said this. His book's called Not a Fan. I recommend you read it. Um, He said, if you're 99% a Christian, you're not a Christian at all. Ooh. I mean, it was a gut punch to me to, to hear that and to read it because how many times are we 99% in? And we're, we're worried about, about the last thing. We're not giving all that we have to Christ. And, and we think that being a good person is enough. I, I heard a lesson when I was young that, that the good old boy, as good as he is, without Jesus isn't good enough for heaven. And, and that stings for a lot of us because I think a lot of us know a good old boy. And we, we want... Um, all of that, but, but to be in a relationship with Jesus is to be pure and blameless. I think the difference between the, the, the having good morality and, and being pure and blameless, it reminds me of um, the light versus darkness motif in the narrative throughout Scripture. Okay, you've heard it before that, that 
you know, lightness represents pure, being pure and being blameless and being in Christ, and the darkness represents the devil and all these other things. Here are a couple of scriptures on that that I found intriguing for us to talk about this morning. John chapter 8 and verse 12. Now, when Jesus spoke to the people again, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Jesus later said in Matthew chapter 5, verses 14 through 16, he said, You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand. And it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. And here's the next one. 1 John chapter 1, it says this. This is a message that we've heard from him and declare to you. God is light, and in him there's no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and we do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. I think it's important for us to realize that if you want to be pure and blameless, okay, another way to look at this is to be holy. Um, I had to title this lesson Pure and Blameless um, because A, I wanted to talk about it, but B, Randy talked about being holy like a month and a half, two months ago, and I said, oh man, I better change it just a little bit. Um, but Randy, when he talked about being holy, talked about, about being in right statue with God. You were standing um, with God and you, and you were relationing with God well. I don't even know if that's a word, but I made it one. Um, but, but your relationship with God, with God was good, and also you were pure. Okay, So there's similar things, but I want to spin it in just a little bit different direction. I want to spin it as this. Holiness, and you can go ahead to the next slide, please, if you don't mind. Um, yep, okay. Holiness um, is proximity to God. I want you to think about it in, in a physical way. Okay, that, that holiness, the closer you are to God, is when you are going to find holiness. And when you're far away from God, it's hard to do. But I think about Moses, okay? And here's where I want to start wrapping up this morning. Moses, look at Exodus chapter 34. Uh, We'll have it on the screen in just a second if you don't mind. Exodus chapter 34, and we'll start in verse 29. Now, when Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of covenant law in his hands, he was not aware, I love this, he was not aware that his face was radiant because he had spoken with the Lord. Now, when Aaron and all the Israelites saw Moses, his face was radiant, and they were afraid to come near him. I think that that's important to talk about, because there's this biblical theme that holiness and purity and blamelessness is is directly correlated with light. And the closer Moses got to God, when he came down and saw his other people, his face was radiating. Now, I think it's interesting to note that when, when Moses came down from the mountain and, and saw the Israelites, this is after Moses came down the first time and broke the Ten Commandments because everyone was worshiping false gods. But he went back up and he came back down and he still had the glory of God. And what does that tell us about God's grace? What a beautiful thing that, that grace extends even when we mess up, even when we get mad, that God is still there and God is still redeeming us. Here's the last point I want to make this morning before we um, ask, what about us? I think this is an important thing to note coming off the tail ends of Moses, that holiness and self-control are an important thing. That if if you and I want to um, experience a Christian life and we want to grow closer to Jesus, that there's an an act of self-control that goes in there. Not only self-control to not do bad things, but there's a self-control that goes in that we have to be dedicated to Christ. That we have to be praying and we have to be reading scripture. We have to be actively seeking proximity with God. God is going to draw nearer to you when you start drawing nearer to him. 
But if you um, just come to church and, and you're good morale, you have good morality and you're a good person, that's not going to be enough. I love this verse out of James chapter 1. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent and humbly um, accept the word planted in you, which can save you. I love that James says, get rid of moral filth. Get rid of it. If you want to be pure and you want to be blameless, you've got to get this stuff out of your life. A lot of us have moral filth in our life that we don't even realize we have. But when you start drawing closer to the Lord in a relationship, you're going to see it. Self-control brings about purity, blamelessness, and holiness. So let's start winding down this morning and ask the question, what about us? This is important for us to ask because I want you to be able to leave this morning and, and have something tangible. I want you to be able to leave and say, okay, where does this apply to my daily life? And so um, purity and blamelessness before God is vastly different than just being a good person. We all know this, but we all forget it all at the same time. That, that you and I um, say, okay, I'm doing enough. I, I talked to somebody about Jesus once this week, but sometimes it's really easy to get in a rut. It's really easy to get lazy in our faith. And, and I think that, that I look back at Paul and I watch how the gospel motivated him. And my hope and my prayer is that we can find that passion. Second thing, holiness is proximity to God. How's your relationship with God? How's your spiritual life? Um, I, John, I didn't do this in the first sermon, but, but John came to one of our um, devos that we had one Sunday night, and he uh, talked about this. He said, hey, somebody once asked me a question, or I read it somewhere, that someone said, how's your spiritual life, and it, and it changed everything. That if someone asked you once a week, how's your spiritual life, I mean, how would you answer it? Would you answer it just, oh, it's okay, it's good? And what would happen if you asked someone else, how's your faith? Just once a week. I think that could help them draw closer to the Lord. I love um, this third point because I think it's important. We're going to mess up and we're going to sin, but that's where grace comes in. I love that Moses um, still wound up in Hebrews chapter 11. We call it the Hall of Faith for a reason. It's all these people that, that, that God used in incredible ways. And you had Moses, and Moses kept messing up. The end, this breaking the Ten Commandments wasn't the end of it. There was so much doubt in his life. But at the end of the day, he was faithful to the Lord, and the Lord blessed him for it. In order to be pure and blameless before God, we have to have self-control. I think that is important. I think that, that we have to have self-control to have a good relationship, to draw nearer to the Lord. And here's where I want to end this morning. I think this is important for us to talk about. Um, there's this motif, like I said earlier in Scripture, about light versus darkness, about purity versus... Um, the filth of the world. Go ahead to the next slide for me. I, mean, I feel like I needed to show this because we needed to talk about it. Um, this, is, this is one of the tamed pictures from um, Las Vegas earlier this week. Um, you can go ahead to the next slide, please, if you don't mind. This verse has been on my heart all week, and I think it's important for us to hear it. And John chapter 1 says this, The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Like we said at the beginning of this lesson, there's a lot of darkness in the world. There's a lot of filth. There's a lot of hurt and a lot of pain. And every time it feels like I turn on the news, I see something worse. 
And, and it's getting to a point where I'm almost sick to open the paper because I feel like I'm just going to see something worse than I saw the day before. So I, I needed to hear something. I'm so sad about tragedies and, and, and hurricanes and all this other stuff, but I, I read this verse and it gives me hope. It gives me hope because I realize that Jesus has already won. The devil can keep throwing tragedies and mass shootings and all this other stuff in our faces. But at the end of the day, I read this verse and I think, oh, he rose. Jesus rose from the grave and we've already won. And it's all going to be okay. doesn't mean we shouldn't feel bad or pray for victims or anything like that. But what it means is that at the end of the day, no matter how down we feel, there's always going to be hope. There's always going to be a reason to get up in the morning. There's always going to be a reason to tell someone about Jesus because the light has won. Jesus has won. I think that's important. This morning, maybe your life um, has kind of spiraled out of control. Maybe the, the news that you see all the time has gotten you down. Maybe, maybe, even maybe, your relationship has gotten so far away from God, you don't feel like you're pure and blameless, but you, you feel like you've got the weight of the world on your shoulders. Maybe this morning you've never entered a relationship with Jesus. And I'm here to tell you that um, the most beautiful thing about that is that it brings hope and it brings light in the darkness. This morning, if we can do anything for you, um, we urge you to come as we stand and sing.